Episode 5 of Advancing Quality and Patient Safety, Clinician-Directed Performance Improvement. That is a topic of interest today as we had the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Laura Goitine of Chris's St. Vincent Health System. Dr. Goitine is the Medical Director of the Quality Program, Clinician-Directed Performance Improvement. She's going to share us the details around this innovative structure, the selection and training process for staff, its intersection with traditional quality management, and the effect it has had on improving physician engagement, improving culture of safety, and reducing overall patient harm. I think you will enjoy today's episode. Hope you can stay with us. Welcome to Advancing Quality in Patient Safety, a podcast by the New Mexico Hospital Association. This podcast highlights member hospital efforts in the fields of quality and patient safety and features insights from clinical experts across our state. This podcast serves the purpose of facilitating shared learning and collaboration across NMHA member hospitals. Welcome New Mexico Hospitals to the fifth episode in the podcast, Advancing Quality and Patient Safety. My name is Dan Lenari, the Director of Quality and Patient Safety for the New Mexico Hospital Association and your host for this podcast series. So we are recording this episode on National Patient Safety Awareness Week. So um, happy, uh, happy week to you all and hope you're, you and your hospitals are, are, are raising that awareness and, and celebrating your patient safety success uh, throughout the week. So uh, we're actually doing two episodes this week. Uh, this is episode five, and if you haven't caught episode four, that is with Tony Baird, the executive director down at Memorial Medical Center, and we had a part two series of tips for the new quality leader. So if you haven't checked out that episode, please do so. Today's episode is going to be a fantastic one. We have a physician leader with us today, Dr. Goitin from Chris's St. Vincent Health System. So before we get started today, I would like to disclose that today's podcast has been approved for nursing professional development, continuing nursing education. The New Mexico Hospital Association is an approved provider of nursing professional development, continuing nursing education by the New Mexico Nurses Association CNE Accredited Approver Unit. So again, to folks listening, at the end of the year, you'll be able to access a SurveyMonkey link and get and check the boxes of all of the episodes that you listened to this year and get uh, continuing nursing education for each of those episodes. Today's presenter has no conflict of interest to disclose. So, as I said, today's guest is a, a, a very special one and we're very happy to have Dr. Goitine with us um, from Chris's St. Vincent Health System. She is the medical director of the Clinician Directed Performance Improvement. So she's going to talk with us in more detail about that today. And for folks, uh, you're probably already aware that uh, Chris's St. Vincent was awarded uh, NMHA Quest for Excellence Award last year at our annual meeting. Um, and it was around this work and even more specific, their work on the management of neonatal abstinence syndrome. So we will provide... Um, resources on that project in, uh, in coordination with, with this recording. So the uh, AHA recently did um, a case study on that work and published that on their website, so we will share that with you all. Um, and also, last year, 
Dr. Goitin and, and folks at Christus presented at the IHI Patient Safety Conference, or Congress rather, in Boston, Massachusetts. So um, we feel very fortunate to have uh, our guest today. So Dr. Goitin, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Thank you. So let's begin with, uh, can you tell us about the hospital which you work uh, and your current role? Sure. Uh, Christus St. Vincent is a 250-bed nonprofit community hospital in Santa Fe uh, with a medical staff of about 500, including a large employed medical group. And um, I am a pulmonary critical care physician at the hospital and the medical director of a relatively new hospital quality program uh, called Clinician Directed Performance Improvement, or CDPI. Great. So yes, yeah, CDPI being our, being our topic of interest and hoping to learn more from you today. So let's start with um, the mission and the structure of CDPI. Can you expand on that? Sure. Uh, the, the purpose of CDPI is to give practicing physicians, nurses, and other frontline clinical staff the protected time, support, and training to conduct performance improvement projects. Uh, our physicians and nurses know very well where our problems and opportunities lie, but they're usually just much too busy taking care of patients to do the hard work of designing and improving our systems, and uh, CDPI tries to remedy that. Right now we have uh, 10 service lines, for example, surgery, internal medicine, obstetrics, pediatrics, and each one is represented by a clinician dyad. This is usually a physician at 0.2 FTE and a nurse at 0.5 FTE. And these clinician uh, dyads are tasked with um, uh, selecting and conducting performance improvement projects for their service lines. They're given centralized supports, electronic and manual data collection, statistical consultation, help with making graphics, and training and PI methods. So the idea is to really support your typical frontline physician or nurse who may not have any PI or research background and uh, to help them to be highly effective improvers using uh, robust methods. Gotcha. So you said, so the 10 service lines and each having that dyad. Can you, can you expand a bit on the training program and, and kind of that process of how a clinician gets designated to be in that dyad? Sure. So um, it's funny. Generally, everyone knows exactly who that clinician should be. <laughs> if I don't know, I go to the director of the section and they immediately know. It's the person who's perfectionistic, evidence-based, dissatisfied, feels like we can be doing uh, better. Um, and after a few interviews, it becomes very clear who, who that person should be generally. Um, we do have a training program. This is a one-year performance improvement course. Um, it uh, consists of eight full-day sessions, and it's uh, designed um, uh, to model the Intermountain Advanced Training Program, which is a very well-known performance improvement course. Um, it provides the theory and the context of performance improvement, but also is designed to walk participants on a very practical level 
uh, through a successful performance improvement course over the course of the year. And the clinician dyads assemble project teams and the full project team um, participates in, in the course. So, um, for example, in our last course, we had about 10 projects coming through um, uh, with approximately 80 participants. It really represents a broad cross-section of our, our frontline hospital staff. Wow, that's impressive. So you said a year long, and um, they kind of these sessions are done during during work hours, or how does that how do they fit that into their normal day to day? Yes, it's it comes out of work hours, and it's fully supported uh, by the hospital. Wow, that's very cool. So this this structured quality program. Um, how long ago did this start, or, and maybe even further, where did the idea come from? Can you give us the, the, the history behind it? Yes, yeah, so the idea originally came from the physicians. Mm -hmm. In 2013, a large group of our employed physicians uh, made a formal request for support for physicians' interest in conducting quality improvements. And as a result of this request, a pilot program was initiated in the ICU, and that did very well. It, it leaded to improved um, ICU clinical and cost outcomes. Um, but for a while, it still remained sort of confined to the ICU until uh, Dr. John Beeson became our CMO in 2014. And he really immediately recognized the value of um, the program, and with his leadership and with a startup grant, from Ancorum, which is the community nonprofit that's a partner owner of, of the hospital, mm -hmm. um, we were able to spread the program to the rest of the hospital in late 2015. Okay. And the program has now been fully funded by the hospital for the past oh, two and a half years okay. um, and has really been embraced by the board and executive team. And I'm, I'm very grateful to our hospital for that. Very cool. So this program, um, how does it intersect with the uh, hospital's perhaps more traditional quality programs or ones that you know folks are more familiar with? Right. So CDPI is uh, separate and parallel to our traditional quality department, although the two collaborate. Uh, Ms. Joanna Bell is our excellent executive director of quality, and she and I work very closely together. I think the CDPI program really supplements the traditional quality program in two important ways. First and most importantly, it really takes advantage of our clinicians um, who have the front site, the frontline insight and expertise to really best design our systems of care. And in addition, they have the influence and the authority on the wards to accomplish behavior change at the bedside. And this really helps to close the loop between measurement and reporting on the one hand an actual change at the bedside. It helps bring performance improvement into the wards. And then second, the program helps our hospital to move beyond the teaching to the test that's encouraged by externally required metrics. Mm -hmm. For example, the CMS public reporting and pay for performance uh, programs. We're able to really take a much broader, more proactive, and, and locally responsive view of quality. Um, and where the, the goals of the CDPI program and the traditional quality department overlap, for example, on many of our hospital-acquired infections, um, the two departments are really highly synergistic. Mm -hmm. Great. And, and for folks listening, uh, 
we're we're going to be able to share Dr. Goitin's uh, PowerPoint presentation. She recently presented also at the New Mexico Hospital Association Board Assembly meeting on this and, and gave a great PowerPoint presentation. So we will we will share those slides with the listeners. And on those slides, um, you have a you have the the layout of of thirty five projects launched over three years, and like you said, a variety of topics um, that are that were have been selected throughout those three years. So, what's the approval or selection process for these projects? So the most important factor by far in selecting a project is clinician insight and interest. Mm -hmm. We really start with the questions, what is worrying you about your patients? Uh, where should we be serving them better? And then um, from that touchstone, we then consider possible projects according to uh, six criteria. So first being high impact in terms of the frequency of the clinical process and the cost. Okay. Having a strong evidence base, we want, don't want to invest a lot of work in improving something to find out later that um, the evidence has changed and we should be doing something differently. Mm -hmm. um, having a large effect on clinical outcomes for patients. Um, having a documented opportunity for improvement. Um, and then lastly, uh, relevance to externally required metrics and uh, potential cost savings. Uh, but really, the first starting point is the interest and insight of the clinicians, which is, after all, the special capability of this kind of clinician-directed uh, program. Gotcha. So the projects are approved by a steering committee um, with representation by our senior executive team, as well as by frontline uh, clinicians. Um, but the philosophy of the program has really been to extend institutional uh, trust to our physicians and their ability to understand what will most benefit their patients. So about a third of CDPI programs have uh, direct relevance to metrics used in paper performance, public reporting, or accreditation, while the others have to do with subjects that would not otherwise really be on the radar screen. So for example, improving sleep for our hospitalized patients, initiating treatment for alcohol abuse in the hospital, and the project that you mentioned, uh, managing neonatal abstinence syndrome. Gotcha. And I see, uh, of course, the measurements of success, and you, you, you have a, a piece here on your, on your handout that says, um, aim statement fully met with statistical significance. So that's how you're kind of measuring that success. Can you, can you expand a little bit, uh, of course, the statistical significance piece being the, the data and the improvement, I'm assuming, um, aspect of that, but how about the AIM statement being fully met? Uh, what does, can you sure. expand on so, that a little bit? Yes, um, at the beginning of every project, uh, the project team develops a AIM statement. This is a very specific statement of what we wanna change, that is the primary metric that is the way we'll know that we've made a, an, an improvement um, over what time period, for what patient population, and by how much. Gotcha. Um, and so, for example, an improvement in a primary metric by 20% over the baseline uh, rate. And then we do power calculations to uh, make sure that we're, um, we'll be able to demonstrate um, that degree of change with statistical significance in our time frame. 
Um, and so we've defined um, uh, success as fully achieving our aim statements with statistical significance, and we have a 78% success rate um, by that measure. However, 92% of our projects demonstrate some statistically improve, uh, significant improvement in our primary metric. Gotcha. So um, the, the large majority of them uh, do uh, uh, create improvement to the clinicians. Um, once they're motivated and given the support they need are, are really highly productive and effective. Gotcha. Yeah, so very, very specific aim statements for those projects and, and defining what success is up front. You just want to kind of reiterate. Yes, absolutely. Kind of That's um, very important to, to hold people's focus. <laughs> it's it's something that sometimes we skip over in this in performance improvement world. We get so yes. excited about doing the work and then we forget to kind of pause before we start to, to really define those things. So it sounds like you guys Right. You can look up halfway through and not be sure what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, um, and going to the, you're looking at some of your slides and your graphs here, and for folks listening, um, I would I would skip all the way to the very last slide that uh, we'll provide you, and it's titled "Change in Engagement and Culture." So it's a very um, very impressive visual that shows um, it measures three things: it measures physician engagement, it measures culture of safety, and then it measures uh, one of your overall uh, Christus Harm Index. And um, w when looking at that graph, I think it's, it's very easy to see how um, the physician engagement and culture of safety scores improve and the harm index also improves. And so a uh, very neat graphic there um, to show some of your success. Um, so regarding those, those trends, um, can you expand a little bit about, you know, maybe some of the stories that you've heard from the physicians and the staff um, as far as this culture of safety and engagement? Can you give us some, some context behind uh, what's happening? Yes, absolutely. Um, these, these changes in metrics um, uh, demonstrating engagement and culture are really um, palpable on the wards. Um, there are now, you know, little teams of frontline clinicians buzzing all over the hospital. It, it's hard to find a conference room. Mm -hmm. And all of the attention to quality leads, um, I think, to more confidence in our hospital and in each other. Um, and there's a sense of pride because we've seen, um, you know, terrific improvements in, in real outcomes for patients. We've seen um, drops in um, large drops in our hospital acquired infections, um, large improvements in sepsis mortality, decreases in in uh, duration of mechanical ventilation, and and um, and we, we've increased in our in our CMS star rating from two stars to four stars in this time. So there's a general sense of pride and engagement um, and interest in in quality now. Um, we CDPI is just beginning a large initiative to address um, physician burnout, um, but I really think that empowering clinicians to improve the quality of care for their patients is maybe the most important step that that you can take in this area. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the the idea that improving quality can improve physician engagement 
isn't really a surprise that, you know, the perception of not being able to provide good quality care to one's patients is highly correlated with low professional satisfaction and burnout. And I think, you know, clinician-directed quality improvement helps to remedy that, and it also gives physicians um, a, a sense of purpose that I think sometimes physicians, um, you know, have maybe partially lost um, these days. I think the opportunity to really take back ownership of the quality of care delivered in the hospital um, restores their professional identity, and it reconnects them to why they became doctors. It's been very powerful. Absolutely. Yeah, ownership being such a huge, huge key word in, in your explanation. And it makes total sense and, and very logical. And congratulations on that. Um, you mentioned physician burnout being something that's uh, maybe the next focus or, or kind of a continuation of some of your efforts. Is there anything else uh, next on the agenda for CDPI that you're able to share with us? Oh, oh, we have lots of ideas. Um, we uh, uh, recently um, joined another Christus facility with um, using Epic. So we're kind of taking a brief pause to get some kinks worked out. And all of the clinicians who've just finished up their last round of projects are beginning to identify uh, their new projects. So I'll keep you posted. Cool. Very neat. So I think I'll end with this question, Dr. Goitin. Um, huge undertaking and, and huge commitment that your hospital and system has made and took you know, multiple years to come to fruition and a lot of folks on board. And, and, and you know, I think it's, it's, it's something to, to look up to and, and, and commend you for. And I would, I would ask for just some, some guidance on for a hospital looking to replicate some shape or form of this, uh, where do they start? What's their, what's their next six months look like or next 12 months look like if they're going to try to do something like this? Yeah, I mean, I think the first step and the hardest part for organizations is really the leap of faith required to truly let physicians direct quality improvement, mm -hmm. you know, not pretend to let them <laughs> direct quality improvement, but really take that step. It's uh, sort of rather than asking physicians to engage in the hospital's quality agenda, it's really the hospital engaging in physicians' quality agenda. Yeah. But in the end, we found that it serves everyone well because we're improving care for our patients, and this agenda is really um, shared. So you know, as part of this um, leap of faith, hospitals have to make a conscious decision to move away from a sort of all-consuming preoccupation with a, a, a narrow set of externally ma mandated metrics and take a much broader view and allow that view to be informed by physicians' perspectives on what is most important for patients. So the first part of implementing a CDPI program is really a question of philosophy. Mm -hmm. And then the second part is being willing to make the short-term investments of paying for physicians and nurses' time. A lot of organizations pay lip service to the idea of physician involvement and quality improvement, but very few um, have been willing to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And as a result, of course, physicians tend to be involved in a very token peripheral way. Performance improvement is hard. It's it's complicated and difficult and uphill, 
and frustrating, and it really can't be done in the interstices of a busy clinical schedule. Um, paying for physician, physicians for this work um, communicates a clear message that that's how you want them to be spending their time, and it elevates the status of quality and safety in the hospital. And you know, this short-term investment, which caused considerable trepidation, I think, to begin with, more than paid for itself. Within a couple of years, we had demonstrated a net financial savings, and that really comes from the avoided costs of paying for complications and poor outcomes of, of care. Um, for example, hospital-acquired infections. If you prevent a central line infection, then you don't have to pay for that additional um, ICU length of stay, antibiotics, et cetera. So, um, you know, we've demonstrated a net um, financial savings through this program, and we're able to do that very quickly. And the savings from each layer of projects, assuming that you can sustain them, compounds year after year where the costs stay fairly stable. So it's become um, um, a, a, fin a financially very successful um, program as well as successful in terms of quality uh, and physician engagement. So I would encourage um, hospitals to, to, to make those two leaps of faith, to, to trust their physicians and, and to pay for their physician's time in doing this work. It's, it certainly paid off for our hospital. Absolutely. Well, that's great advice. Well, um, congratulations on, on all that's been accomplished. And I know that's it's just a start in, in your guys's mind. And we look, we look for uh, to hear about more success in this program and at your hospital in the future. And, and thank you, Dr. Goitin, for your leadership in this. And, and thank you for taking the time with us today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the opportunity, Dan. It was really fun. Great. And for folks listening, uh, again, we'll share um, Dr. Goitin's contact information. So if you have to reach out to her with some quick questions and guidance, uh, we'll leave her contact information in our, in our newsletter. We'll also share... Uh, like I said, uh, some PowerPoint slides and, and t some of the graphs that we referenced today. And then also I'll share the AHA case study that was recently published on their work. So um, with that, I thank everybody for listening uh, to uh, another episode of, of Advancing Quality and Patient Safety. And we look forward to hearing from you on the next episode. So have a great day. Thank you for listening to Advancing Quality and Patient Safety. Future episodes of this podcast can be heard at anchor.fm forward slash NMHA or subscribe to the podcast using the Anchor app. Please visit NMHA's HIN newsletter for materials and resources related to this podcast.